Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hey, Jim. Hey, Catherine. Children. That's today's topic. Yeah, because it's school week. Because it's school week. Um... Mm -hmm. So this is the question we've gotten probably the most from listener or the topic that we've gotten the most questions about is about kids and the virus and daycare and schools and, you know, just like what's up with kids. I think parents are stressed and concerned and obviously school being out just causes a whole mess of related problems. So, Jim, you actually wrote about this in your column today. This is your column today. Specifically, the disease process as we understand it in kids right now. Mm -hmm. I can't judge on exactly how the schools and daycare centers should be handling everything, but we are learning more about specifically how kids' bodies are affected by this virus. So you have part of the answer, but we also need help. I will need from... backup on this. <laughs> Yes. So Sarah Zhang, we're going to call her. She's been um, reporting on the virus since the beginning, and she's covered science for years. So, And she wrote gonna... a great story for us uh, about why kids and adults react differently to the virus back in May. So right. she was kind of one of the first people on this and has been yep. keeping up with it since. Okay. So let's give her a call. Hello. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hi. It's been a while. I know. It's been a while. How are you? I'm good. I have done something I never thought I would do, which is I have been waking up early and exercising before <gasps> work. I think I've never uh -huh. done as an anti-morning person before. Uh, Did you exercise before or is this part new as well? Uh, I would like go for a run after work, but now it's just like mm -hmm. way too hot to be outside <laughs> after after work. So this is the only time of the day that it's like uh, okay to be outside. And right. it's been nice. And there's a few more people out. Yes. Yes. Well, so Sarah, we have gotten so many questions from listeners about kids and coronavirus. And, you know, they're kind of two parts. One is like, what's up with the disease and kids? And two is, therefore, how are we supposed to think about childcare in school? Um, but maybe we can start with the actual virus. I mean, you've been covering virus science from the beginning. Yeah, as much as we know about the virus, which is like as much as anyone knows about the virus. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, here's a question. Maybe we'll start with this. A listener named Liz wrote us, this was back in May. So um, she said, I'm a mom of a three and a half year old, 19 month old and seven week old. I'm a nurse anesthetist returning to work on June 1st. Can you tell me how worried I should be about this Kawasaki-like illness that may or may not be associated with COVID-19? Um, so I think, sorry, Liz, that we're getting to you late, but um, maybe we could start there. Can you just give us an overview of what we know about kids and the virus? Yeah, so I think it was clear pretty early on that kids don't seem to get very sick from the virus. And um, when they do, they're often asymptomatic or very mild. And it also seems like they don't really spread it. 
But um, sort of like a few weeks after the virus first peaked in New York, uh, doctors started noticing this, um, as Liz says, Kawasaki-like disease, which I think is now called uh, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in kids, or MIS-C. Um, when I was reporting on it back in May, it was very confusing. It had a different name, but I guess I've settled on MIS-C. Right. It seems like it's just miscellaneous. It, is that it, appropriate? It is the perfect word, actually. Like <laughs> it's just like it, um, disease, etc. Can I break it down for one second? Yeah. The science of this multi-many system system inflammatory. It involves inflammation. It's a syndrome. It has different manifestations. It affects children. That's what the name says. <laughs> it's a it's a lot of words to like not say very much. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just call it miscellaneous. And I don't mean to make light of this because it can be very serious, but I'm sure that was not intentional, but it fits really well. Yeah. Okay. So this miscellaneous syndrome affects children. Sarah, what is it? Uh, Well, it's a miscellaneous set of symptoms. (laughs) So yeah, so it includes a bunch of different things that are um, usually seen with like kind of a overactive immune system. So that's like rashes on the like palms of your hands and the soles of your feet, um, a swollen tongue, cracked lips, some cases really, really low blood pressure. Um, mm-hmm. So it looks like a bunch of different things that can sometimes happen with different viruses as well. Like kids sometimes just have this almost kind of overactive immune system. And they have like mm-hmm. a delayed reaction to the virus. And I think like part of the reason this took a while for for doctors to notice is that it seemed to peak about six weeks after the COVID cases actually peaked in New York. So it seems like there's some delay between the exposure and actually getting this syndrome. So that's kind of why it took so long to notice. It's also because it's really, really rare. So I think in New York, um, there have been maybe about 100 cases that have been confirmed. Yeah, um, we're just in the stage of not being able to really define them. And I think the ones we've defined are the real serious ones. Yeah, right. And have been like kind of confirmed that they were exposed to COVID, which we can't confirm in every case. So when I was writing about this, I was trying to find a number. You know, my editor's like, gotta tell us how common this is. And I think that's exactly part of the reason we haven't heard more about it is because it's so difficult to define and because of that lag. And I think that is why you're just seeing now these clear cases but if you look at what the CDC is warning parents about, did you see this, Sarah? No. What does the CDC's warning say? <laughs> right, because you wrote about you were really at the forefront of yeah. Writing I wrote about this, this like over a month ago. Yeah. I know. I know. It was over a month ago. There was this big news push because CDC warned parents consult a doctor quote right away if your child develops quote symptoms of MISC that could include any of the following: fever abdominal pain, vomiting, diarrhea, neck pain, rash, bloodshot eye, or feeling extra tired. <laughs> so you're, are you, uh, and some of these kids, there have been fatalities. Like the, the, some of these kids, it's been serious. So uh, like essentially CDC was telling people like, hey, if you don't have enough to worry about already, if it seems like your kid is feeling extra tired, they might have this serious condition 
as you were saying, it's like this miscellaneous collection of symptoms that are so nonspecific. And I think probably part of the worry is that we really don't know why, like most kids are totally fine after getting COVID, and but a very, very small number seem to develop this serious condition. And, you know, some, some, that very small number does need to be hospitalized. And that kind of uncertainty um, of knowing this can happen, but don't know, like, who it will happen in makes it really hard. Wait, so this is happening to kids after they have recovered from COVID-19? They probably didn't even get it. Yeah, they never had the like the coughing or the shortness of breath that most of us associate with COVID. Got it. But these are in instances where they, you know, had the virus circulating in their bodies yeah. and then the virus leaves or they, you know, fight off the virus. And then then some number of weeks later, they start to have these like inflammatory symptoms. Yeah, exactly. It's like the virus is gone or maybe almost gone, but the immune system is still reacting to it for some reason. And we don't huh. really know why and why it happens in some kids and not others. Um, Jim, you were talking about how hard it is to uh, know the number of kids who've actually had it because, you know, if your kid maybe just like got a minor rash, you probably never took them to the hospital. But it's also really hard to know how many kids ever had COVID in general, right? We know the vast uh, number of people probably never got tested and most kids never get sick. So why would they get tested? So the prevalence is probably really, really low. Right. Can I just clarify something? So I know I understand that a lot of the worst reactions in adults to coronavirus happen when with a cytokine storm, like an overreaction of the immune system, is the same theory in play here with kids that just the immune system is freaking out and being overactive in some way? Yeah, yeah. I think in a general sense, that is exactly what we're seeing. And like, it may be that there are some shared mechanisms. It may also be that it's a slightly different, like, cellular mechanism, but uh, mm -hmm. it's sort of the same idea. Like, immunology is so, like, so ridiculously complicated. There's so many moving parts, but it's yeah. the, sort of the same idea. It's like you are fighting off the virus at first, but you know, even in adults, when they have this really strong immune reaction, it's sort of like towards the end of the infection. and They may not actually have that much virus even. Right. So that is, there's just like a delay in yeah. kids and it manifests differently with different symptoms. Yeah. Though some of them are the same, though the, the real difference is that you just never got the respiratory symptoms in kids that you tend to see in adults. But some of the other kind of multi-system um, effects, though some of those do overlap. Yeah. I'm imagining a sort of Venn diagram here. Do you th see it that way, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's a the MISC COVID-19 Venn diagram where some people are going to have both. Some people are going to have just a respiratory syndrome and some people are just going to have a delayed immune response. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. So have we seen MISC in adults? Like what makes this different than what's happening in adults? I think maybe the key difference is that if it has happened, we haven't picked up a pattern yet. But in adults, um, when they get this, they adults also get the the respiratory syndrome, right? So they are mm -hmm. uh, not everyone, of course, but they're usually coughing and the shortness of breath. And in kids, they seem to get this despite not having any of the COVID symptoms that we uh -huh. classically think of as COVID symptoms. I think it could be manifesting in some of the ways that, like, the people who've had long cases of COVID nineteen that. Right. morph from respiratory into, like Ed mm -hmm. wrote about, quote unquote, long haulers, mm -hmm. people who've just, this isn't leaving. And um, yeah, it just becomes real hard to define because it manifests in so many different ways. 
Are there any theories about why this is happening? Like, is it that kids' immune systems are a lot stronger in general, so, like, they're better at fighting off the initial disease, but then kind of keep going too long or something? Yeah, yeah, there are some theories. So so kids' immune systems are, like, stronger and weaker in different ways. And, like, one of the, like, key ways that they're different is that kids tend to encounter a lot of new viruses, right? Or, like, new pathogens, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. everything you encounter as a kid is, is new to you. So right. um, they tend to be better at fighting off something that's completely new. But um, if you're seeing something for a first time, it also takes time for your immune system to mount that response. So if you're an adult and you've, like, you know, had... Um, chicken pox before like the next time you see chicken pox your immune system's gonna be like yes that's chicken pox i'm gonna start like yeah. getting rid of it right away whereas mm-hmm. a kid like it, it may take them a while for their immune system to respond um right but as we sort of know that like in chicken pox is less severe in children than in adults for for reasons we don't actually understand but maybe also related to the same reasons in covid um so they do work slightly differently. And this like kind of response to a new, completely new pathogen might help explain why the responses are so different to adults. Got it. You know, there was this thought at the beginning that, well, maybe kids are kind of better off and they don't seem to get sick, so we don't have to worry about them. But is the lesson here like, no, actually we do? Yeah. Well, I think kids are better off uh, than adults, but it does seem that they can transmit the virus as anyone who's carrying it. But the condition is pretty reliably treatable so far. It shouldn't be super scary. What is, I think, worth keeping in mind is that these patterns are just now emerging and they have this super vague name. And Mm -hmm. the idea of diseases causing downstream lasting effects is well established in other infectious diseases as a possibility that we should keep in mind and assume that we are not fully understanding everything just yet and try mm-hmm. to keep kids safe for all the reasons we already were. Yeah. Like without commenting specifically on daycares or schools or anything, and I'm not proposing that there's some massive threat that we don't yet understand, but that we definitely don't know how this is going to play out in the long term across the population in terms of potential delayed effects on a scale of one to ten how how much should a parent worry about this information this is what she does the scale one to ten whenever i'm being (laughs) too hedgy i'll tell you what i am worried about things are so vague and when you have time delays like this you can get into situations where people start to believe things that aren't true so like everything there is a calibration needed. Like, watch out for this. Be careful. Kids can get sick. They're not completely invulnerable to this disease. However, we don't want to get so paranoid about it that every single thing starts to seem like it must be this vague, lingering, magical, long-term disease that, that we don't know anything about and could kind of explain anything that's wrong. Exactly. Okay, so... What does this mean for schools and daycare? Parents who have been working from home and also trying to take care of their children are like, I know it is extremely difficult. There are also parents who need to go back to work or are going back to work and need childcare for their kids. How worried should people be about transmission in these spaces with kids? 
Well, I, I think as Jim was saying about the calibration, everyone's risk calculation is different, but right, um, right. I don't think that this miscellaneous disease is maybe the biggest thing to worry about. You, know, you mentioned transmission. I think the possibilities of schools and daycares, like you know, kids bringing it home, transmitting on teachers is probably a slightly bigger worry. But the evidence does sort of point to that kids don't usually get very sick. When they do get sick, they do have viral loads, which means that you can find virus in them, but they also don't seem to be the ones who are, they're not walking virus bombs, as one way to put it. It's Really? The, so yeah. so we don't think that kids are as good as tra- at transmitting the virus? Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case. Like, you know, the, there haven't been very many cases where a kid went to school, got sick at school, and brought it back, right? Like, um, part of this is that a lot of schools have been closed, so you don't really right, have much data. Right. But, you know, places in Europe, they have open schools in, in the Netherlands, for example, and they followed families, and there haven't really been any cases where the kid brought coded back to the family. There have been a couple childcare facility related outbreaks, including a recent one that was reported in Oregon, like very minor and rare, it mm-hmm. seems, but it's not like it's impossible. Right, so right. kids generally don't get as sick and generally also seem to be less good at spreading it, but it still can happen. So this is another one of those risk calculation things, like how are we supposed to calibrate all of this stuff? So I think you're totally right that it can happen, right? Saying that it it doesn't usually happen doesn't mean it can happen. And as the Oregon case demonstrates, it can. But we also have um, evidence, for example, in New York where daycares are open, like the YMCA daycares are open kind of throughout the outbreak. Um, and there mm-hmm. weren't any cases associated with those daycares. And that was, I think, thousands of kids were in those daycares over a period of months. So I think mm-hmm. that the kind of preponderance of evidence we have suggests that it doesn't happen that often, which doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And when it comes to risks, I mean, unfortunately, like anything you do, like come, come to the risk, right? Like driving your kid to the daycare also comes with a risk. So I think there's like no one size fits all advice. You know, maybe yeah. it depends on like who else is in your household, um, how old your other kids are, are you living with grandparents? Um, I think the individual family situation maybe matters a lot right. more than like, should this daycare be open, period. Right, right. What about the risk to parents? We've gotten questions about concerns about, okay, well, I know my kid might be fine, but what if my kid brings coronavirus back into the home and I get it and then I'm sick and then I can't take care of them, you know? Like, the thing to worry about really is transmission to caregivers and teachers and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Though, you know, I think most of the evidence still tells us that kids aren't usually the ones bringing it back home, at least from what we know so far. You know, I would never say the risk is zero, but um, given how parents need childcare to work, given all of the benefits of kids going to childcare, like maybe like you might think that's worth it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe this is a good moment to resist the impulse to stratify risk or to help people calibrate anxieties in any way other than saying, here's what we know right now, and here are some possibilities for the ways this could unfold. What is the danger of helping people calibrate? Well, I think you help that with just information here. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there are certainly times when I can say what we should or shouldn't be doing about daycares and schools, but for an emerging condition like this that's just now starting to be reported and understood, right? I think just, like, it's not something to panic about, but it is something that we just want to keep, I want to keep a close eye on, and I want to be assured that there are not other manifestations of this multi-system inflammatory process that don't linger and cause something that is actually significant that we aren't yet picking up on. Right. Sarah, last question for you. Um, You've been following sort of the science of the virus since the beginning and covering science for years. What do you most want to know about how this virus works? Like, what are the quest? What are, what are the mysteries in your mind? I think the question I, I most want to answer is why it seems to manifest so differently in, in different people. And I, I think the mm-hmm. answer to that actually may not be about the virus itself, but actually in our immune systems, um, because lots of viruses, you know, are really different from person to person. Uh, mm-hmm. But if we could in some way predict, like, who would get really sick and who is fine once they get this virus, I think that would help a lot in um, figuring out how to you know, minimize the impact. Right. Right. Did you know I got shingles? No, like because of the recent news events. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, no. Um, it was during my residency. Oh, during... oh, damn. Well, you mentioned the chickenpox virus, which is the same virus that causes shingles. So when you get chickenpox, the virus stays dormant in our neurons, and then you later get this inflammatory response to it. Is the thought. That happens usually when people are very old or very sick. And I got it when I was in my mid-20s in good health. But I'd been working nights and really stressed out and got this big rash. It, it's, it only goes on half your body and it only goes on the area of skin that's supplied by one of your vertebral nerves. So it goes in like a, a band across. In my case, it was my chest. Some people get it on their face. Uh, and it looks sort of like chickenpox, and it can be really painful. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Is there a reason you're you're telling us about shingles? Well, that's sort of that it's sort of unpredictable, right? Um, oh yeah. The, yeah. I was the last person to think that I would get it, but your body can start to you know your immune system malfunctions for all sorts of reasons, and then right, right. Um, this weird response happens in a healthy. Yeah, your young immune person. system is very connected to your um, mental state, right? Or stress. Yeah. Yeah, stress is totally a factor. Right, right. I'm just going to keep in mind that stress doesn't help anything. So <laughs> I'm not going to um, spend, I'm not going to like say spend the rest of the day fixating on the That is a that great takeaway. Coronavirus might linger in your body and then come back. It, no, no, no. Let's like, not I'm even, just not going to do no. that. Not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, that, okay. that is how you get we shingles. Have, we have no evidence for that. Right. That will give you shingles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, thank you, Sarah. This was really clarifying all right thank you thank you all right talk to you later thank you bye bye jim i didn't want to tell you this while we were talking to sarah because it seems like you're really proud of your shingles Um, (laughs) no it's kind of an embarrassing thing i had them when i was 20 you did Uh uh-huh a worrier (laughs) i had them even younger than you did 20 years old shingles going on (laughs) just partying too hard um no, the opposite. Uh, 
I was I was going through some things. Oh, okay. So, um, but you, it was a time of stress for you. It was a time of great stress. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Self-inflicted, of course. Right. Uh, so much yeah. of it is that mind-body connection stuff tends to gets dismissed, you know, because there's a yeah. lot of uh, mumbo jumbo thrown around or whatever. But there's also a lot of truth to it. Right. I think part of it is just we can't really explain how those things happen. We don't have these clear pathways we can point to. Like, here's what happens when you feel stress. Chemical 7429er gets released. Right. But it clearly, there are mechanisms there that we know about. So, Yeah. I should note that Liz was not the only person to write to us with this question. Many other people wrote wondering about kids and reopening and, and kids getting sick and, and all that. And there's additional information in the column from this week. And one of the other notes that we got this week was someone dissatisfied with our episode from Monday about colleges, mm-hmm. saying that we downplayed the benefits of the college experience to kids socially and emotionally. Mm-hmm. In that episode, I shared Derek's idea about the kind of social ties that you get from college being a third of the value proposition of going to college, mm-hmm. meaning it is as great as the actual value of the degree you get and anything you learn in the classroom. So I think mm-hmm. that is kind of an appropriate weighting. I didn't mean to to downplay. Yeah, but this goes for young children, too. I mean, maybe even more so like the, you know, kids who are out of school right now, young kids it's not just the loss of education, but it's the loss of their friends and socializing. And, and also, I think there's a lot of concern about, you know, school is one of the big ways that basically social services are able to connect with kids if there's something going wrong. Yeah. So I think it's a very complex question. And there are huge social and emotional costs to kids and college-age kids being away from school. Yeah. It's not nothing. Um, It's just a really, really complicated situation with very high risks. We're navigating something similar with Moses right now, who needs to be socialized or else he'll develop leash aggression. (laughs) Um, He needs to meet other dogs at a very Uh young age. uh, Mm -hmm. So he becomes socialized. But if Mm -hmm. you do it too fast, he can get he can get viruses like the parvo virus, which is really bad and scary. Really? Yeah. So. We want him to get out there and go to the park. And there are different schools of thought as to how long you wait after vaccination um, to to have them play. Point being, socialization at young age is like clearly important. Avoiding virus, also important. Right. Um, anyway, so thank you to the listener. We welcome constructive criticism and feedback all, always. Yes. And would like to hear from you because we're just ourselves and we don't know everything and we don't think about everything. And we like to uh, talk to you all too. I learned so much from our listener emails. Honestly, it's extremely helpful to know um, what people thought of things and what is on people's minds. So to that point, write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com. You can also call us and leave us a message at 202-642-6487. Uh, This episode today is produced by Kevin Townsend. Thank you, Kevin. And as always, if you like the show and you want to support Atlantic journalism, a subscription is the way to go. Theatlantic.com slash support us. Um, Okay, so on Friday, we will talk again. We will advance the conversation on kids and school, and we're going to talk about child care.
and society on Friday. Sounds good. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.